0: And once again, we welcome you back to uh, Moving Forward with Young Voices here on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. I'm now joined by Travis Nix, who is a Young Voices contributor as well as a uh, law student at, uh, was it to Georgetown? Georgetown?
1: Yeah, Georgetown Law. Thank you so much Town for having Law. me on,
0: Brian. Glad to have you on. And I'm looking at an article that uh, you had published here on the American Institute for Economic Research. First of all, congratulations. That's a that's a very, uh, very popular information resource for me and for a lot of other hosts who uh, are looking for good, solid information. You and I are going to be talking about how tax increases can't pay for the Democrats' reconciliation bill. I've heard a lot of names for different bills, but, uh, Travis, I'm not sure. I, I've heard the reconciliation bill enough that I, that I could understand what it is. Uh, what What's the purpose of this bill?
1: Yeah, so what reconciliation is, normally in the Senate, uh, bills need 60 votes to pass the filibuster. But with reconciliation, it allows spending bills and tax bills to only require uh, 51 votes, 50 in the case of the Democrats because they have Kamala Harris to break the tie. So it's basically... This is just a spending spree for the Democrats to spend money on all kinds of things. They call it infrastructure, but there's nothing related to infrastructure at all in the bill. There's a lot of child care stuff. There's a lot of energy tax credits involved. Uh, It has nothing to do with roads and bridges that people normally associate with infrastructure. And currently, it has a $3.5 trillion price tag on it over a 10-year period, which that's the, that would be the biggest infrastructure, or biggest reconciliation bill ever passed in U.S. history
0: in terms of costs. I you know, my gut reaction is that sounds like that sounds like somebody found, you know, grandma's stash of hundred dollar bills in the cookie jar and is just going nuts you know, while they can. It sounds like there's spending going on here without any thought whatsoever as to is this something that government is actually empowered or, you know, supposed to be engaged in.
1: Yeah, and the really dangerous part of this bill is they're disguising a lot of the spending through, like, tax credits, as I said. So they're saying, oh, this is tax provision. This doesn't really affect spending. When all of these tax credits do is it lowers uh, the cost for companies to do certain things like investing. Clean energy, and it's just spending through the tax code. There's no difference between a tax credit and just spending regardless. And the Democrats right now have very little details on how they're going to pay for it which I'm worried then is just going to increase the deficit even more, boost in- interest rates and increase inflation. And right now, we're dealing with uh, a major inflation problem in the U.S. as consumers all over the country are seeing their prices go up on everything from meat to gas.
0: Yeah, grocery shopping is becoming much more of an adventure than I would like it to be. Now. Is there typically this much back and forth on on uh, getting spending bills passed? It seems like we see showdowns every so often, you know, a government shutdown if we don't get this spending bill passed. But it seems like I don't, it feels like there's more riding on this one than than normal. Is that safe to say?
1: Yeah, they're just trying to ram this through. They're not negotiating with the Republicans at all. All they're trying to do is figure out a way to get 50 votes on this bill in the Senate. And then in the House, they can only use four votes. And two Democrats in, during the committee process have already voted against it. And so they're having a lot lot of problems right now trying to uh, whip votes for this, which in my opinion is a good thing because I don't want to see this passed at all. Um, but yeah, so they're really struggling to uh, get votes and they're going to have zero Republican support on this because it reverses much of the 2017 tax cuts and Republicans are just not going to go along with that.
0: What's the likelihood of this bill being fully funded?
1: Zero. Um, So what I was talking about in my article is that, um, so for reference to you, for your viewers, the 2017 tax bill costed around $1.5 trillion. So that means if they were to repeal the whole entire thing, they would only raise about one and a half trillion dollars. And they're talking about a three and a half trillion dollar bill. So that leaves them $2 trillion in the hole. And they can't, they don't even have agreement to reverse the whole tax cut. So right now they're talking about a corporate tax rate of 26 and a percent. Before 2017, it was 35%. So they're just, they're getting, they're getting nowhere near the amount of revenue that they need to. And they keep scaling back a lot of their proposals. Um, a lot of the money that they were thinking about was, was going to be raised off of um, companies, international income and they completely changed the proposal recently to now they're only going to raise about $200 um, billion dollars off of that. So if they're looking for a three, three three and a half trillion dollar bill, there is 0% chance that this is actually fully funded.
0: Wow. I, you know, I remember a time where even a billion dollars was enough to raise eyebrows, really a billion dollars. But it seems like we're throwing around a trillion with a T and, uh, and, you know, the politicians are barely flinching. I mean, this, the the amount of, of money being spent is almost incomprehensible. Is it likely that these kind of bills and the borrowing that would have to, to take place in order to fund them, could, could it ever be repaid, in, in your opinion?
1: Repaid uh, fully, no. Um, the U.S. will never repay all of its debt. Um, It's just not possible. The amount of tax increases that would have to occur for that, it's not politically feasible at all. So the best that we can do is get as close to a balanced budget as possible. And this has to become even entitlement reform and a lot of spending cuts to make that possible. And then, you know, then we can get a balanced budget. And then that's not really that problem because we'll have low interest rates. And then it's just a much less problem than if... You keep adding to your debt, which then causes interest rates to rise. Then you have to pay the interest on the debt. So, like the U.S. right now, we don't even pay anything on the debt; we just pay interest on the debt. So, we just we just need to try and minimize those interest payments as much as possible.
0: Yeah, well, and when you mentioned you know that uh, they'd had they need to to cut spending or they need to uh, maybe scale back entitlement programs, I can't think of very many politicians that are going to risk. Being unpopular by taking something away rather than offering to give something on the backs of the taxpayers.
1: Yeah, but they need to figure out something really quickly because all these social security is going to go bankrupt in around five years. The Medicaid trust fund is going to run out, they're saying in like three to four. So once these programs start to run out of money, then they're going to have to do something, even if it's politically unpopular, most likely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess the question is, will they do it by choice or will they be forced to? And I think it's looking probably more like they're going to have to be forced to because nobody wants to be the first one to blink.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, this is this is one of Paul Ryan's big uh, things that he wanted to do while he was speaker in the House with entitlement reform, and he just never got that ball thrown down when Trump was in office. So I think if he wasn't able to do it by desire – then no one's going to be doing it, and they're going to need these programs to run out of money and have it be forced, which, that's better than doing nothing.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> Travis just to put this in perspective in your article you talk about um, the the federal debt per u.s household and you, you you put it into perspective by talking about where it is today versus where it would be by 2031 if this uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill was passed um, could you could you walk us through those numbers just so people can kind of get the the idea of what that means to each individual taxpayer or household I should yes. say
1: Yeah, so this basically means the amount of taxes that would have to be increased per household to actually pay off the U.S. debt. So right now, every household technically owes $179,000 to the U.S. government, which is a lot of money, and all households essentially cannot afford that. yeah. if this bill, three and a half trillion billion gets passed along with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, that's around $1.2 trillion that they're actually going to vote, that House is going to vote on um, Thursday, then the amount would uh almost double to $288,000. So that means every household would owe $288,000 to the U.S. Um, treasury. And that just shows you the, the amount of reckless government spending that's going on <clears throat> and how this this debt is never going to be repaid, as we were discussing earlier.
0: Yeah, and this, and this has some strong implications, even for people that haven't been born yet, who have no say in the debt. Travis, we're up against the clock here. Tell people where they can find your work. Obviously, American Institute for Economic Research, where else?
1: Yeah, I and mean, the easiest place to find me is on my Twitter, at uh, TeamX113. I publish all my research and articles there, as well as the Young Voices uh, homepage.
0: Okay. Travis Nix, Young Voices contributor, thank you so much for being our guest for this segment.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on again, Brian.